Welcome to Treasure Valley Podcast. I'm your host, Chuck O'Noctane. Since this podcast began, I've received the same question over and over again. Chuck, what is the meaning of life? Well, it's the 100th episode and I'm feeling generous. So today I'm going to share with you the meaning of life. But first, let me start with chores. I am not a fan of routines. Don't get me wrong, a certain amount of predictability is helpful and causes less stress, but routines in the form of to-do lists that never change are exceptionally arduous. Commute to and from work. Stop at the grocery store on the way home twice a week. Unload the dishwasher. Make my coffee every morning. Pack my lunch every workday. Yard work on Sundays. Laundry on Sundays. So much of life is like the Greek story of Sisyphus, who was doomed for all eternity to roll a giant boulder up a hill only for it to roll back to the bottom just before he reached the top. I've heard that some people find solace in these types of activities almost as if they're meditative. The boulder, for me, feels extremely heavy, and rather than focusing on the next step with these mundane activities, I immediately begin with the thought that the boulder is going to roll right back to the bottom of the hill, and I'll be repeating the process over again and over again all too soon. I'm sure everyone out there has these tasks that loom heavily in their thoughts. These mundane aspects of life that are often the first to be neglected when suffering from depression. I'm sure you know someone who has allowed their entire surrounding environment to fall to disrepair because the thought of repeating the cycle is just too overwhelming. Chores can be too much, but you got to do them. If not, it only gets worse. The neglected boulder settles in at the bottom of the hill and slowly sinks deeper into the soft ground, making it harder to get it rolling again. You might be thinking, hey, Chuck, what do chores have to do with the meaning of life and why are you talking about them? Well, to answer your second question first, because of The Sopranos, that's why. Let me explain. Like many of you out there, 2020 opened up quite a bit of free time for me. One of the often neglected tasks on my to-do list has been to finally watch a variety of HBO shows that I started but never finished. These are older series that were interrupted because when I began them, they were on Netflix's DVD in the mail program, which made binging impossible. Well, 2020 has been a perfect year for watching stuff, as watching stuff is now ranked highly in the exciting available activities that allow me to avoid contracting and spreading COVID list. I made it through The Wire and Boardwalk Empire so far. Both are really entertaining and well-written. I highly recommend you check them out. Currently, I'm in the midst of the pioneering and possibly quintessential HBO drama, The Sopranos. In season two, a teenage character, AJ, is experiencing intense ennui. AJ basically gives up on life because he doesn't see a purpose. All life ends in death. So why try? The most successful movie stars, the most intelligent scientists, and the most mundane office workers that hate their job and wish they would have followed their dreams but decided to forego their passion because their spouse wanted a family, and now with a mortgage, two car payments, and impending college tuition for a kid hovering over them like an ominous rain cloud, they can't take the risk of quitting their fluorescent bulblet PowerPoint presentation-driven six-figure annual salary job. Besides, they're well into their 40s pushing 50, and what will all of their fluorescent bulb-tanned PowerPoint-loving friends think of them if they were to quit at this point? I digress. Eventually, everyone's heart stops beating. So what does it all matter? We're all heading for the same cliff. This is according to AJ, a teenage character created by a dude in his 50s. Spoiler alert, AJ goes to visit his cantankerous grandmother to get advice on how to deal with his newly encountered apathy. Her response was along the lines of, yeah, we all got to deal with it. 
Get over yourself. Obviously, these characters have a pessimistic outlook on life. They're focused on the inevitable end and the arduousness of mundane routines. They're joyless, which almost brings me to the reason for life. But a quick disclosure before I give my rendition of purpose, I'm not religious. If you find purpose in life because of an invisible, omnipotent, and curiously absent being, good for you. My explanation will cover that scenario. However, I don't buy the whole God thing because unlike religious folks and Trump supporters out there, I need concrete evidence before I believe something to be true. So what is the whole point of everything? Why do you exist? Why do I exist? First off, there's genes and memes. By that, I mean, biologically, we feel an urge to pass off our genetics. And specifically with humans, we enjoy infecting people with our ideas even more than procreating. So passing our memes onto others is nearly as important, if not equally as important, as procreation for us. Although I'd like to focus on the psychological meaning of life today. That answer is pretty easy. You exist to maximize your own pleasure. And how do you do that? Self-gratification. The meaning of life is to maximize pleasure through self-gratification. Take that, Aristotle, Thomas Aquinas, Immanuel Kant. One sentence. If you aren't maximizing pleasure through self-gratification, you're screwing something up. You aren't living your hashtag best life. Some of you may be a bit skeptical of my opinion, but so far it covers every scenario I've imagined. I'm going to run through this using a Christian template because I find those guidelines stringent as well as familiar. But first... Let's define our terms. Maximize, to make as large or great as possible. Pleasure, a feeling of happy satisfaction and enjoyment. Self-gratification, the indulgence or satisfaction of one's own desires. That last definition tends to throw off the people I know when used in the context of the meaning of life. Chuck, isn't that a bit hedonistic? The answer to that question is, yeah. I believe people who feel good don't even bother asking questions like, why am I here and why do I exist? Thus, they must have found their meaning. Hedonism had the answer the whole time. For those of you who are unfamiliar, hedonism is a school of thought that postulates finding pleasure and avoiding suffering are all that matter. Hedonism is as old as written language itself. From the Epic of Gilgamesh, which dates back to about 2100 BC, fill your belly. Day and night make merry. Let days be full of joy. Dance and make music day and night. These things alone are the concern of men. By men, they meant people back then. I'm assuming. I don't know what the translation is. I would argue that most of the people who object to the hedonistic lifestyle have a belief system that tends to be morally opposed to victimless activities, such as using alcohol and drugs, engaging in premarital or homosexual sex, or even just masturbating. The thing is, when you add an entire lifetime into the calculation of overall pleasure, hedonism and self-gratification make sense. After all, life is a balance of pleasure and pain, and sometimes short-term pleasure leads to a larger and long-term pain. For the Christians out there, let's look at hedonism through the lens of the seven deadly sins. Lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride. These things are supposed to be enjoyable, but sinful. I think if we follow the rules of hedonism, we can simplify things a great deal, and we don't need all seven of them. The first thing I'll throw out is envy. Envy doesn't feel good, so don't be envious, duh. So the first of the enjoyable seven deadly sins is lust. We need lust. Without lust, our species would go extinct. So I think we all agree that some sex drive is necessary. Therefore, lust can't really be a deadly sin. It brings life. So why is it on this list? I personally don't understand. I'm guessing the issue is when things get out of control. Think sex addict. But what is an addict? According to the American Psychiatric Society... 
Addiction is a complex condition, a brain disease that is manifested by compulsive substance use despite harmful consequence. The American Psychiatric Society is clearly focused on drugs when it comes to addiction, but hopefully you can do the mental gymnastics necessary to see that when you think of a sex addiction in those terms, we're looking at an individual who perpetually engages in sexual activities in spite of the subsequent negative consequences. This isn't maximizing pleasure. So I would argue a sex addict isn't finding meaning, and neither is anyone else with an addiction. So that covers the gluttony category as well. Could you find meaning with a whole bunch of sex, a whole bunch of food, and a whole bunch of drugs? Possibly, but I'm guessing it would probably be pretty hard because eventually you'd have to deal with the solitude, obesity, and constant headaches and hangovers. Eventually, your life of excess will likely make you miserable in the long term, thus not maximizing your pleasure over an entire lifetime. Although you could overdose at 27 like so many famous artists. That'd cut out the hangover aspect. But... It would also chop off 50 years of potential future pleasantness for less than 10 years of unadulterated adulthood. The next behavior to avoid is greed. Greed is just lust for inanimate objects, like cash. You need some stuff. You might want more than you need, but fortunately, wrath eventually keeps things in balance and nips greed in the butt, usually. People get angry with you if you have more stuff than them. Too many people angry with you makes your life unpleasant. Just last week, 400 lawmakers from 34 different countries, including the United States, backed a campaign called Make Amazon Pay. I'm guessing Jeff Bezos is a greedy guy. However, his marriage fell apart, and now he has multiple countries after his treasure hoard. I'm sure his cash accumulation hangover is coming. See, even wrath is useful. I think of judgment as a lesser form of wrath. We need to keep each other in line. And we do keep each other in line to an extent, whether it be freaking out at people without their mask at the store or jumping on the cancel culture bandwagon after the latest celebrity harassment story. Without wrath, those sociopathic murderers and rapists would be able to live their best life at the expense of everybody else. What does too much wrath look like? Well, that's just bossing people around. You can't say you're a woman if you were born with a penis. You can't show your nipple if you have a vagina. Wear your seatbelt. Wear your helmet. We need a law for this. People that are constantly involved in other people's business aren't happy. If they were happy, they'd be doing their own thing. Wrath might feel good initially as you win some little battles and get people to behave the way you dictate, but it can eventually turn into a giant stomach ulcer. Finally, there's pride. Pride in the Christian realm is putting yourself before others. Think narcissist. Again, wrath from others can keep pride from being too fulfilling, but you need a certain level of selfishness. Affix your own gas mask before you help others. I find it odd that Christianity has a deadly sin involving selfishness, but they don't mention anything about the dangers of the opposite of a narcissist. Some people lose themselves and constantly need to praise others. It's a maladaptive condition psychologists are calling echoism. People with echoism are not maximizing pleasure because rather than having a giant, nearly indestructible ego, theirs is either non-existent or as fragile and easily broken as a ceramic Jenga tower. These people need some pride to find more pleasure. The narcissists need to keep it in check to avoid the wrath of the mob. You see, something as simple as maximizing pleasure is a complicated dance, a delicate balance that can be thrown off for years after a miscalculation. You can read your Bible for inspiration, watch Tony Robbins videos, or read from the endless library of self-help books, but really, it all just boils down to feeling good for as long as you can. Hedonism. Ultimately, you're on the hook to maximize your own pleasure. It's your job to figure out how to get your rocks off the most before you die while feeling the least amount of regret and spending the shortest amount of time in jail throughout the whole process. 
that's the meaning of life. But if you don't figure out how to enjoy yourself, don't worry. You're only one out of 7 billion people on this planet and only one out of more than 100 billion people that have ever existed. So just relax. Even if you screw up your entire life from start to finish, nobody's going to remember. You're just a tiny stream of piss in an endless ocean of humanity.